Oh, sir, watch out for the... Wherever I go lately, Alan Lurie mused rather resignedly, I seem to be arse-deep in shit. Oh, well. He waved off the tow-headed young daisy-kicker at the old plowman public house's hitching rail, who stood with silent offer to towel the offending matter from his glossy top-boots. No use, lad, Lurie said as he swung up into the saddle. There's plenty more where I'm going. Oh, aye, sir, so they be, the lad chirped, letting go the reins he held. Lurie dug halfpence from his wash-leather purse and flipped it to the daisy-kicker, who whooped with glee, as if the coin were the first he'd ever earned, as if Lurie did not reward his chore each time he departed from the old ploughman. "'Tie, Your Honour, sir,' the boy called as Lurie turned his horse west on the high street. "'Night, Squire Lurie.' Lurie touched the wide brim of his hat with a riding crop in reply, as he clucked his tongue and kneed his mount to a brisk walk. "'Squire,' Alan sighed with a snort. Not exactly true, was it? Squires were freeholders who rented land to others, while he was only a tenant, a rent-payer himself. Now if I sublet, he thought, perhaps to a well-off hermit, and was there such a creature as an eremite with the blunt, he wondered, who wished half an acre down by the creek where he could pile himself up a grotto and become Lurie's tenant, performing perhaps the odd Jeremiah. Thrice on market days, talking in tongues or dancing like a dervish or old St. Vitus, would I then be a squire at last, or even less welcome in the parish? Might be worth doing at that. It'd drive Caroline's Uncle Phineas batty. His horse paced through the village of Angles Green, heading west for the vale between the rolling hills, hooves clopping on the icy earthen road, as candles and lanterns were lit in the windows of the homes alongside, and lights were extinguished as shopkeepers at last shut after long hours of sparse winter trade. Very few villagers were out now that the brief stint of cloud-occluded sun had all but gone, and the winds blew foul and cold. Without the casual labourers of the sowing or harvesting seasons, Angles Green was an even more tedious and emptier place than ever he had experienced, now Christmas and Epiphany were come and gone, and cold, as cold as parish poor's rate charity, and about as unattractive. Arse deep in it, he told himself again, glum with rum and ennui, up to my nose in acres of it, and that so bloody boresome. There were, to Alan's lights, much like the descending levels of hell in Dante's Inferno, Distinct gradations to the shit existing in the world, and the quality and quantity of it a body had to abide. Uncle Phineas, his lessor, for instance, his eternal sneering stultifying monologues, his miserly few suppers or do's, which formed the bulk of a bleak, lurie social life, now there was shit from the lowest nether pit itself, and totally unabidable in quality and amount. In contrast, the literal item, such as the horse droppings he'd just stepped in, some of those he didn't mind half so much. Horses were noble beasts, beautiful in form and motion. Their stalings were abidable, for they bore convivial folk together, astride or by coach, eased a traveller's burden, pleased with their speed, heart and endurance, livened hunts, fairs, social occasions, or elated one with the order of their finish at a race. 
No, truth be told, Alan Lurie, like all good English gentlemen, rather enjoyed horse poop. It had a redolence of hospitality, of congeniality, of freedom, excitement, and far horizons. The by-products of the lesser beasts necessary to a farm, though, even his inept, clueless style of gentleman farming, of which folk said he did little but raise his hat, now they were odious in the extreme. He knew little after four years, and was forced to depend upon the knowledge of Governor Chiswick, his brother-in-law, or of the vile old Phineas Chiswick. They both dropped their jaws and whinnied at his questions, making him feel as out of place, even after four years of applying himself, as he had aboard Ariadne back in eighty on his first day as a callow midshipman. Or, even more discouraging, to have to talk things over with dearest Caroline in private, being coached on what orders to give that particular day to the few permanent farmhands or the hired day workers, to be such a humble know-nothing in his wife's eyes.' 